I want to begin today by telling you a story that involves my, uh, my paddleboard. Like a lot of you, uh, the beginning part of this year was just, it was just exhausting. And so our family, we just needed to get out of town. And so we decided to take some time away at the end of June. And so we got in the car and we drove for two full days all the way to Montana. And we had an amazing, amazing time. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube and you went somewhere and you took a trip, I'd love for you to tell us where you went. But we went to Montana and we have some great friends who were there and we had to crash at their place and just explore. And uh, they, they did some great things for us. They were just so kind to us. And one of the things they did for us is that they, they put together some experiences that they knew would be life-giving for us. And one of those was they booked us a weekend at Glacier National Park. We got to camp for three days and two nights in this beautiful, beautiful location. If you've never been to Glacier, it is literally one of the most beautiful places in the United States. And so we were there for three days, two nights, just me and Danny by ourselves. It was some really needed couples time. And they set us up with some really awesome, fun toys, including a a stand-up paddleboard like this one. Not this exact one, but one like it. And uh, and they gave it to us and said, hey, go out and have, have fun. And so one night we'd had dinner. It doesn't get dark until 10 p.m. in Montana. It's just kind of crazy to, to be light that late. But we were sitting there, and Danny was going to read. And I was like, hey, do you want to go out in the water? She's like, no, no, I'll, I'll go out tomorrow. And I was like, okay, I'll read too. So I'm sitting there, and I'm reading as well. And I just had this feeling, man, I, I don't want to miss this opportunity. So I got uh, back up, put my, put my book, book down. I went over, and I started inflating this inflatable paddleboard. It took some effort, about 10 minutes of pumping with the pump, but I got it all you know, pumped up. I got a life jacket on, and uh, I said, okay, I'm going to go out on the water. Now, I got down to where uh, the water was, just a, f- a few uh, feet from our camp. We were right there on the, on the edge of this lake, uh, Lake McDonald in Glacier National Park. And, and I, I realized that I was, I was scared. There were people all around, and I was like, man, if I get up on this paddleboard and I fall, everybody's going to see me. And so I kind of went off by myself, and I, I launched from there, and I was down on my knees at first, you know, and kind of just, you know, tooling around. I said, okay, I've got to get the courage up. So I got the courage up, and I, I got up on the paddleboard, and I didn't fall. I was so proud of myself. And, and I started paddling around, and I was just having a great time. I mean, the, the water was peaceful right before sundown. Um, it was quiet. You know, a couple of paddleboarders went past me and they waved at me and I waved at them. And these are not my abs, by the way, I wish, maybe for Christmas this year. But, but, but I saw them and I waved. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm actually a paddleboarder. I'm part of this. And it was probably 25 minutes of me paddling around, not falling and having a great time. And I'm like, I'm so glad I came out here. I'm so glad I didn't keep reading my book. But I got close to where I had launched. I said, hey, should I, should I turn back in? And I was like, no, no, I think I, I think I should keep going. And I kid you, not 10 seconds after I had the thought, should I go in? I totally ate it. I mean, I fell right off this side of the paddleboard, 
right in the water, and it was not warm water, by the way, fell in that cold water, and I came, came up and got my bearings, and I looked at the water line, and there were like 15 people who saw me just eat it. And I just was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I just ate it in front of all these people. So I, I crawled back up on the board and I made sure that I wasn't going to fall again. And at this point, I am not standing. So I'm like kneeling or sitting and I, I see some, some sunlight so I can dry off. And I, I paddle over to the sunlight. And I'm, I'm, I'm really frustrated with myself at this point. I'm like, I came out here and I was doing so good and I should have just given up. I should have just given up when I was ahead. I should have just stopped. But I had to keep going. And what did I do? I fell the thing that I had been afraid of. And I fell, not just by myself, in front of an audience. And I was so embarrassed. I was so frustrated. And as I was sitting out there uh, on the water by myself, in this, finally, this spot of warmth to, to, to get my, my uh, temperature back, I felt like God began to speak to me. And I know people say that in the church, and, and, and often it's confusing. And I don't mean I heard a voice from the sky on the water. I, I just heard like an impression. I just sensed God laying something on my heart. And what I sensed him saying was this, Scott, this is what you've been doing for months. You see, it wasn't just that I was afraid that night of paddleboarding. I had been thinking about going paddleboarding and picking this up for like three years. But I didn't want to do it because I was scared of falling, especially falling in front of people. And so first I was like, yeah, God, I know I've, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And this is what I was afraid of happening. And he's like, no, Scott, this is much deeper. And I began to think through all the things that had happened in the first part of this year. All the challenges, all the adversities, some things that, that I'm sure you could understand and some things that, that I'm sure you have, have no idea that, that somebody would carry. Stories that, that I, I wish I could share, but I, I can't today. And as I was thinking through all of those, I felt like God was saying, Scott, this is what you've been doing for months. You have been living in fear. Your mind has been focused on all of these things that you're afraid of. And you've been afraid of falling. You've been afraid of what other people will think of you if you fall. And this has been keeping you not only from paddleboarding and picking up a new hobby, but this has been keeping you from everything that I have for you because you've been afraid and you've been concerned what people will think if they see you fall. And as I began to think about this, I realized a, a powerful epiphany in that moment. I felt like God was saying, Scott, you know what? You might fall just like you did on the water. But guess what? You'll get back up and you'll go on. And out on the water that night on July 4th weekend at Lake McDonald in Glacier National Park, something shifted in me and something began to shift through me. It was a powerful moment when I made a decision that I was no longer going to be driven by fear. And I wasn't going to allow the potential of people seeing me fall to hold me back. And it was that weekend that I began to realize that I had been in a battle 
and I hadn't even realized it. And friends, I want to encourage you today, if you're tracking with me, if you're relating to what I'm describing, I want to challenge you that you are in a battle too, and you may not even realize it. This is how Paul describes our battle in in Ephesians 6. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, and against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Friends, we are in the middle of a battle. And for many of us, for you and for me, that battle is taking place in our minds. And my fear is that many of us are losing that battle. And starting today, I want to help us begin to win that battle. And so we're starting a new series today called Mastermind. The subtitle of the series is Renewing Our Minds, Transforming Our Lives, inspired by Romans 12, 2, where Paul tells us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're going to build today and over the next five weeks on the conversation that happened last weekend with our our counselor panel, the message called Unspoken. And we heard so much feedback from so many of you who related and were encouraged by this. We've seen incredible engagement with that video online over the last week. And so we're so grateful that you watched it and shared it. But building on that conversation about our mental health over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how do we renew our minds and how does God transform our lives when we win that battle. And so here's where we're going to begin today with our big idea. That the greatest battle we're facing is the one between our ears. The greatest battle that we're facing today is not out there. It's in here. And I discovered the battle up on my paddleboard. And I've been fighting the battle. I've been out, I think, the last six Saturday mornings in the row to see the sunrise on a lake in the area. And I have experienced God giving me victory. I haven't fallen since that day out in Glacier National Park. And God's been teaching me things that I'm super excited to share with you. So here's where we're going to begin today. We're going to begin today by talking about four things that we need to know about this battle in our minds. And we're going to begin with a story that I have seen in new light, and I hope you can see today in new light, kind of in light of the experience that I had. The passage is Matthew 14. Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. We're going to break it down in chunks and read it piece by piece this morning. For some of you, you're going to actually know this story when you get there, but I would encourage you, don't let your familiarity or your past experience with the story be a barrier to you having a new experience of God speaking through you, speaking through it to you today. If you're new to the Bible, Matthew is the first book in the second section of the Bible called the New Testament. Matthew is preceded by Malachi. It's right before Mark. It's the three M's in a row. Matthew 14. And here's the first thing we're going to learn and that we need to know about our battle that we're going to see from this text. Here's our first point if you're taking notes. That adversity in our lives is often a result of obedience to Jesus, not a sign of disobedience. The first thing you have to know about this battle is that adversity is often a result of obedience to Jesus, not a sign of disobedience. And we're going to talk about our belief and our kind of 
uh, view about adversity we often bring to these moments, but let's dive into the text first. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22, says, immediately he, and he in this section is Jesus, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after dismissing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. So Jesus is on the mountain. He has sent the disciples across the lake in a boat. Verse 24 says, Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. So the disciples are with Jesus. He sends the crowd off. He prepares to go up and pray by himself. And what he does is he sends the disciples out across a body of water in a boat. And immediately the boat hits adversity. It's a far distance from land and it's being battered by the waves and the wind is against them. Now, most of us, when we end up in a moment whether we're facing literal waves or metaphorical waves, whether we're facing literal wind or metaphorical wind, when we end up in that moment of adversity, we think, I must have done something wrong. I must have misheard God. I I, I must have been disobedient because if I had been following God and his voice in obedience, he would not have led me into a moment like this. The only problem with that is it doesn't fit the actual scriptures. Jesus sends the disciples right into a storm. He sends them right into the wind. He sends them right into the waves. God is all-knowing. Jesus knew what was coming. And this is a problem for us because many times the view we bring to a moment like this is a view that people have been struggling with for millennia. And it's a view known as prosperity theology. That if you are righteous, God will bless you. And if you are evil, God will curse you. Many of us hold to this incorrect, twisted view of theology, even back into the Old Testament, where we think, hey, if we do all the right things, God's going to bless us. And if we do bad things, God's going to curse us. Well, if you believe this, I want you to go home today. You're already home. You're not here at church. I want you to read your Bible in Job and Ecclesiastes in the middle of your Bible because Job is a righteous man and yet he experiences tremendous adversity. He loses his wealth. He loses his health. He loses his children. And his friends come and they basically say, well, you know what, Job? You know, you must have done something evil for God to be cursing you. And Job goes, no, I haven't. And he hadn't. You read the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon, who is at that point the wisest man who'd ever lived, says, I've seen people who are wicked prosper. And I've seen people who are righteous struggle. Friends, we've got to jettison and leave behind this view that if things are going well in our lives, it's because we're righteous. And if we're struggling, it's because we've done something wrong. This view is not biblical. And we import this view into our mental battles far too many times. 
We say things like this or things like this are said to us, you know, your mental or emotional challenges must be the result of some sin in your life. Friends, this is wrong, evil, unhelpful, and unloving. And many of us have struggled for years in the battle going on in our minds because we have been telling ourselves a message we heard from someone else, often in the context of church, that our struggle must be the result of some sin, and so therefore it's some punishment from God. And that's not what happens in this story with the disciples. They experience adversity as a direct result of obedience. And we see in the scriptures that God even allows for us to experience adversity so something greater can happen. One of my favorite passages of scripture is 2 Corinthians 12, and it has encouraged me during so many seasons of adversity in my life. The apostle Paul says, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me this adversity. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may reside in me. So I will take pleasure in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships, persecutions and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So friends, when you find yourselves in adversity or insults or hardships or persecutions or difficulties, or you just feel weak, that is not a result necessarily of you being disobedient. You may be right where God wants you. And he may be at work in ways you don't understand. That's the first thing you got to know. Second thing I don't know about, about this battle is that our focus tends to impact our footing. Our focus tends to impact our footing. We'll dive back into the story here and look at the experience of one guy named Peter. It says next that Jesus came towards them in the middle of the waves, walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. Now, I know some of you know how the rest of the story goes. I just want to pause right here. Peter walked on the water. Peter a man like you and me. He, he walked on the water. Do you know how crazy that is? I just like, sometimes we, we, we get too familiar with the Bible. <laughs> Peter walks on the water and he goes towards Jesus. I just, I had to stop right there and just make sure that you caught that for a second. But when he saw the strength of the wind, this is Peter, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, a lot of times when this passage is preached, and it's been preached many times, some of you may have heard of a message on this text before, I think Peter gets put down or kind of, oh, Peter, because he stumbles on the waves. But I just want to acknowledge 
that Peter's the only one with the courage to get out of the boat. He's the only one who steps out on the water, and for a time, he is walking on the water. But at a certain point, the the text says that his focus goes to the waves. And when he sees the waves, he begins to sink. For Peter, when his focus went to the waves, his footing was lost and he began to sink. Now, I think all of us can relate to Peter in this moment. Because all of us have had a moment in 2020 where we felt like we were drowning where we felt like we were sinking, where we felt like we were about to go under. I wonder for you, this statement. In the last 30 days, I've had a moment where I felt overwhelmed. If you're watching at our Rosser campus at the watch party and, and you agree with this statement, this is your experience, I'd encourage you to raise your hand. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, if, if you're in the chat, I'd encourage you to say me or put up the hand emoji. Let us know. Because I've had these moments. I had one of them last night. I had two of them last week where I just felt completely overwhelmed. Part of this uh, inflatable paddleboard has been my way of processing it. Going out on the water end up quiet without my phone to try to process those emotions. And what I have discovered in those times and places that I have been overwhelmed is that my inputs have a direct relation to my outputs. The things that I am focusing on and I'm bringing into my life have a direct result to my outputs, the emotions that I'm having or the things that I'm feeling. And what I have found is often on those, to- those times and on those days where I feel overwhelmed, I've been consuming way too much news. I've been scrolling through way too much social media. My life is so noisy with so many competing voices. And I realize, man, I I haven't talked to God at all today. I haven't cracked my Bible open for myself at all today. I haven't had any silence in days. And what I found is when I am discouraged by my footing, I have to go, well, where has my focus been? If something coming out of my life is not what I like, I have to go, well, what's going into my life? And friends, I just want to encourage you that if in this battle for your mind that you're struggling with your footing, if you're on a board and you're kind of wobbling a little bit back and forth, what I've discovered is you have to focus on something secure. Let me give you a little lesson in standing up in a paddleboard. If you're, if you're on your knees and you want to stand up, the worst thing for you to do is to look down or to look at the water because your focus isn't strong enough to establish firm footing. When you get up on a paddleboard, you have to pick something that's unmoving and focus on that as you stand. And friends, that's what we need in this moment. If we're going to win this battle in our mind, our focus has to be on what is unmovable. And when Peter's eyes were on Christ, his footing was secure. Our focus tends to impact our footing. Third lesson I want to talk to you about today. We need to be careful about the story we tell ourselves when we fall in the water. We need to be careful about the story we tell ourselves when we fall in the water. 
Now, again, I mentioned that that this is a a familiar passage, and many of us, when we've heard this passage taught, we've we've not seen Peter as somebody to admire. He's been somebody to kind of learn from his mistakes. He's been kind of the goat in the story. And, And yet, I think we need to make sure and see what really is said here in the text. So Peter's in the water. He cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got in the boat, Jesus and Peter, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, him being Jesus, and said, truly, you are the son of God. Now that phrase there that Jesus speaks to Peter, I think is the subject of not enough reflection. Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Notice what Jesus didn't say. You of no faith. Peter actually had faith. He had more faith than all the other 11 guys in the boat. He was the only one with enough faith to get out onto the water. So let's not throw Peter, you know, down the river too quickly. He was the only one that actually had enough faith to get out of the boat. But his faith is growing. His faith is maturing. And so Jesus speaks to him and says, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Peter's on a journey. When Jesus meets Peter, his name is Simon. You know what Simon means? Wishy-washy. Jesus goes, your name has been Simon. I'm going to name you Peter. Peter comes from the word Petra, which means rock. Jesus took somebody who was named Wishy-washy, and he is on a journey to grow into his name, Rock. And by the end, Peter is one of the rocks of the early church. And in this moment, I think Jesus could have said something different to Peter. Instead of saying, you have little faith, why did you doubt? He could have said, come on, Peter, what's wrong with you? Come on, Peter, you should have stayed in the boat. Come on, Peter, do you not actually believe in me enough? And if you're not going to believe in me enough, then just stop following me. No, all of those things that I think we read into a text like this reflect not the heart of Jesus, but our own struggles. See, in this moment, what Peter is experiencing is he's experiencing Jesus challenging him. And friends, challenging is not equal to condemning and shaming. And what happens for many of us when we fall in the water When we stumble in this battle for our minds, we begin to experience a voice of condemning and shaming that doesn't acknowledge where we have room to grow and learn, but that means to take us out of the water and out of the battle entirely. I can tell you what happened for me on on the, the water that day. When I was sitting out there kind of trying to warm up and thinking about falling and embarrassed about falling, I said to myself, why did I even come out here? Why did I even try this? Why did I even give that a shot? I should not ever do this again. That was the voice of shame and condemnation that moved, as our friend said last week, from I did something wrong to I am bad. To I made a mistake, shifting from that to I am a mistake. From, you know what, I'm not good at this yet, to I'm never going to be good at this. I'm not good at anything. I'm not worthy. 
And friends, that's why we have to be so careful about the stories we tell ourselves when we fall in the water. And some of you this year, some of you even this week, you have told yourself a story that is condemning and shaming yourself for making a mistake and falling, for being human. And I just want to encourage you that if you in your head hear a voice that condemns you and shames you and tells you that you are not worthy of love, belonging, God's love, a relationship with him, and you have already put your faith and trust in him, friends, that is not the voice of God. That is the voice of your enemy trying to defeat you in the battle of your mind. And so I went back to the campsite later with Danny, and I told her what happened. And I said, you know what? The story I was telling myself out there on the water was, why did I even come out here? But I realized that story is not true. This is something I want to do again. And so I went paddleboarding three more times in the next seven days before we left. I shopped everywhere online. Let me tell you, if you're trying to buy stuff to do uh, outdoor sports or anything active right now, you're going to be searching the internet. This stuff is hard to find. But I, I bought one of these. And as I said, I've gone out six weekends in a row because I'm not going to let this story that I was telling myself be the story that I live. Because if I did, I would have missed so many moments of God's presence and his love and his peace amidst this crazy year. And friends, I don't want the story that you're telling yourself today that is not from God, that's from our enemy, to keep you from everything that God has for you. Be careful the story you tell yourself when you fall. One more lesson for us today. One more thing we need to know. Number four, renewing our minds is less of an event and more of a process. Renewing our minds is less of an event and it's more of a process. I said earlier, this, this series is rooted in a text and that text is Romans 12 too, but I want to give you some context and read that, that message in context. In Romans 12 verse one, this is what we read. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And here's what I, I, I want to encourage you with today. Many of us, when we hear that phrase, renewing our mind, we treat it like an item on our to-do list. Check, read in my mind, done. We treat it as an event. But friends, renewing your mind is not something you can do once and then just move on from. It's something that you have to do again and again and again and again. Because we live in a time where our world is constantly trying to conform us to the pattern of this age. And so as often as we feel the pressure to conform... We have to transform by the renewing of our mind. That means not one of these, but thousands of these. And it isn't just renewing our mind. 
It's, it's being a living sacrifice. Romans 12 once says, you got to offer your body as a living sacrifice. That is not a one-time effort. That is an ongoing commitment. And there's a contrast here that I just want to show you. You know, what Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, the call of God on my life is to surrender my life and renew my mind. And this is how God transforms me and continues to make me more like Jesus. He says, in light of everything that God's done for me, my calling is to surrender my life and renew my mind so that I have the power and strength to become everything God made me. This is in contrast to what he's describing because he says the other option is just to contribute from my life and experience my life being conformed. And the image I want to give you is a breakfast image. Some of you are having brunch right now while you watch church. And the image I want to give you is the difference between a chicken and a pig. For those of you who are vegetarians, I apologize. And for vegans, maybe too. But there's a drastic difference between a chicken and a pig, especially in the context of this sandwich, this ooey, gooey, yummy sandwich, this cheese, egg, bacon sandwich. See, in this sandwich, both the egg and the pig were involved in contributing something. But guess what? The chicken gave an egg. The pig gave it all. Some of you just got it. And this is the difference. If you're going to win the battle in your mind, you have to be the pig and not the chicken. God is not looking for you to just contribute part of your life to him where you can and when you can. For you to experience the victory he wants to bring in your life, you have to give it all. And many of us haven't given it all. We've been looking to give a half-hearted commitment or a half-contribution. And as a result, we're experiencing this continual conforming to the way our world is going. And what Paul is saying is that if you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that starts with a full and complete surrender of your life. So this week, when you have one of these sandwiches, I hope you think about it just a little bit differently. Because friends, it's not just that the greatest battle we're facing is the one between our ears. Friends, the greatest battle we're facing is one between our ears. And this is where the battle is going to be won. And this is what we want to help each other do together. In a second, we're going to give you an opportunity to ask some questions. Maybe this message is raised for you can either text those questions in to 928-288-5490. Or if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, there is a chat feature there. Our team is monitoring that chat. And as they can, they will grab those questions and get those to me in just a second. Well, Pastor Scott, I know that for myself and so many people in the church family, we're so grateful for the sermons that you bring to us each week, the way the Holy Spirit works through you to impact our lives. Um, you normally have next steps at the end of your sermon. Do you have some next steps for us today? I do, and we want to encourage you, if you haven't sent a question in, you can text 928-288-5490 or put it in the chat. But I, I always love any with next steps. I want to keep it practical and make sure this is, uh, you know, working its way from Sunday into Monday. So I've got a couple steps that the team can guide us through these. The first step is this. I want to encourage you this week to create space to listen to God speak through your life. I think we often 
find ourselves losing that battle in our minds because uh, we don't have any space to listen to God. And in my experience, Chris, God is not going to shout over our lives. He's going to wait for us to, to get quiet to speak. There's that moment in, in 1 Kings, I think it's 1 Kings 18, where uh, with Elijah, God was not roaring in the wind or in the fire. He was that still small voice. And so if we want to hear God speak to us so that we can hear those kind of things like I heard out on the lake, you got to create space to listen. And that means getting quiet. That's the first thing. Number two is I would encourage you to identify the vulnerable emotions you're experiencing and the struggles you're facing currently between your ears. Vulnerable emotions is a phrase one of our counselors used last week, Elizabeth George. And those are those emotions that often we kind of describe as negative emotions. Maybe it's anger, sadness, grief, um, uh, discouragement, um, uh, loss, but identify those emotions that you're experiencing and maybe the struggles that you're currently facing between your ears. I, I, I don't think we can win any battle that we don't actually know we're in or work with and process through any emotion that we don't name. And so there's a huge power in naming that emotions. And once I named on that board that I was in fear, man, I had so much more like guidance and direction. I mean, I've battled fear before. I know what that is. I know how we work with that. And so I'd encourage you to name that. And then number three, I'd encourage you to find a journal this week or a notebook and finish this sentence. The story I'm currently telling myself about these emotions or this struggle is. So for me, it was the story I'm telling myself about this, this falling in the water is that everybody on the, on the, on the water's edge thinks I'm an idiot thinks that I'm terrible, thinks I'm a failure, and is laughing at me. Well, the truth is, honestly, they, they weren't even watching me, I realized later. They didn't even notice. They were so caught up in their own stuff. And many times, the story we tell ourselves, we never interrogate it. We never think about it. We just accept it. And so this week, I'd encourage you to get your journal out, maybe write on just one page, hey, this is the story I've been telling myself about this struggle that I'm in. This is the story I'm telling myself about these emotions that I'm feeling. And then step back and go, well, is that true? Or one better, read it to somebody that you know and trust. I ran into somebody this week, Chris, and I was talking about how things were going. We've been homeschooling our kids for six weeks. They go back to school on Monday. And this friend said, how are you doing? And I said, uh, it's, I'm exhausted. And I told her, one of, one of the, said that the story I'm telling myself is, and I told her, she's like, Scott, you know that's not true. I said, that's why I said it's the story I'm telling myself. I didn't say that it was true, logically. But man, in the mo moment, it felt true. So those are three practical steps I'd encourage you to take, put this message into action. Yeah, that last one be a great conversation in community groups. When it, here's the story I'm telling myself. Or in a family, you know, to say, hey, what's the story we're telling ourselves? So I just think this phrase is so powerful. If you can add it to your vocabulary and get some, some distance and perspective on those loud emotions and feelings in our lives. Yeah. So we have a question coming in here, and it's from our youth pastor. So that should make us a little bit nervous I'm here. A little bit scared. Yes. He asked this, since Scott preached in shorts and no shoes, does that mean I can preach in shorts from here on out? Josh, you can knock yourself out. <laughs> um, another question here, Scott. Based on your description, the stories I tell myself are rooted in shame. How do I overcome that? Well, uh, our counselors gave a great description of shame last week, and I kind of alluded to it in the message. They said that the difference between guilt and shame is that guilt says I did something bad, whereas shame says I am bad. 
And for a follower of Jesus, Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation or shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so shame really doesn't have a place in the life of the believer. Guilt does. Guilt convicts me. Guilt challenges me. Guilt motivates me. Guilt holds me accountable when I do things that are wrong. But shame is really destructive. And for me, I've had to start identifying what does shame sound like? So when I'm feeling shame, what is the story I'm telling myself? What are the phrases that I hear in my head uh, when I'm feeling that sense of condemnation and worthlessness? And I've begun to kind of start writing those down because in my experience, Chris, Satan, he comes with the same stuff all the time. He finds what works for us and he just plays the hits. And so for me, I've found about five or six phrases that, that my enemy uses in my head when I'm feeling worthless, condemned, like, like what I've done is who I am and who I will always be. And so now what I do with those things is when I hear one of those phrases, I go, oh, shame. And sometimes they, I even say it out loud, like shame, shame. Kind of like when you hit your, 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 your thumb with a hammer and it helps to kind of shout and scream. Sometimes just saying the word out loud identifies it. But I'd encourage you, get familiar with those phrases that you typically hear in those feelings, and then begin to predecide that those statements are going to be your sign that you're not hearing the voice of God, but you're hearing the voice of your, your enemy. Yeah, and as you were talking, I was thinking about how uh, sort of Satan's greatest hits that he has for each of us might be different for different people. And with the experiences different people experience, so how I interact with people in my family, how I interact with people in my community group um, is going to need a great measure of grace because things that might not be a struggle for me might be a struggle for somebody else. Absolutely. I think that there is a, a connection between that voice and conversation I'm having with God internally and my relationship having with people. You know, one of the greatest commandments Christ gives us is to love your neighbor as yourself. But inherent within that is an overlooked word, yourself. And for many of us, we feel people treating us, especially in a moment like this, in a year like this, on social media, with a lot of hate, anger, frustration. And what I've discovered is that, that people are as harsh with others as they are with themselves. And many times the reason that we lash out at people and we're so harsh with them is because that's the way we talk to ourselves. That's what we believe about ourselves. And so if we can begin to win this battle in our minds and overcome the voices of sin and condemnation and shame, begin to turn down those voices and turn up God's voice, not only will it mean we win the battle for ourselves, the people around us are going to begin to experience a different version of us. And they're going to experience more of that love your neighbor as yourself because we're re- embracing and receiving God's love more. Yeah. Now you've talked about um, feeling overwhelmed. Um, practically, how have you navigated that? Um, how have you made that happen? Well, I'm, I, I'm not sure I figured it out. Um, I don't think I you know, got it mastered. Uh, one thing I've learned is that for me, those emotions that feel so overwhelming, they're like waves. Kind of go back to the analogy I've been using all morning with the water. And, and I have to recognize, and I'd encourage you to recognize that most of those feelings that are so overwhelming, they, they feel like they last forever, but they really last about two minutes. And so if I can recognize that this is a wave that I'm feeling that's crashing over me, and I can learn just to take, honestly, deep breaths through it. Uh, if I can just pray simply, Jesus, help me. And I can stay in that for about two minutes. What I find is that the intensity subsides. 
Not that the reason that I'm overwhelmed goes away, but the intensity of the feeling will kind of come back down like a wave that rises, crests, and then comes back down. And so I would just encourage you, if you're feeling overwhelmed right now, that, that that's often a feeling that, that feels much more permanent than it actually is. And so when you're in the intensity of it, if you can just cry out to God in prayer, invite his help, and take a deep breath through it, and maybe even just watch the clock on it. I think what you'll find is that it doesn't last as long. Um, and then once that emotion kind of subsides, you can begin to move back into a more logical relationship with, okay, what do I have control of? What can I change? What can I do? Because um, when you're in the intensity of that emotions, all those logical Bible verses and reasons, they're not helpful because your emotion is just too strong. So as we wrap things up, at least until 4.30 this afternoon, um, any final thoughts for us today? Yeah, I would just encourage you um, to find a way. I talked about, for me, it's paddleboarding. And if you see me out on the water, I'd encourage you, you know, wave. But this is my time to kind of get some alone time. I'm an extrovert by nature, but this is my one place I kind of have take out for some refuge. But I'd encourage you to find some habit or discipline in this season that gets you outside away from this so that you can actually be quiet enough to hear God's voice. And I'll tell you that the two hours I've spent for most of the last two months on Saturday mornings watching the sunrise on the water have been the best time for my soul. Some of the best time to improve who I return home as so that my wife and my kids and you are getting a better version of me. And so for you, maybe on the water, it may be taking a walk, maybe riding a bike, maybe going for a hike, maybe just sitting back on your back porch and leaving your phone inside. But find some way to create outdoors some quiet so that you can actually disconnect from all of those voices and hear the voice of God. And when his voice gets louder, I think those other voices and those other temptations are going to get quieter. So.